Would you like to be part of the next generation of mindfulness meditation instructors? We invite you to take a unique opportunity to earn your teacher certification with Jack Cornfield, Tara Brock, and some of today's leading mindfulness meditation instructors. To get the training you need to guide others in their journey, visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash get certified. Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. This podcast is a manifestation of our interconnected lives, and we wish to keep it free at all costs, if you can say that. So, we are dependent on the generosity of you, our listeners. So, please go to mindpodnetwork.com slash kd, and either use the donate button, or just bookmark the Amazon portal. We receive a small percentage of however much you pay for whatever you bought. Nothing extra for you, but a tangible contribution, if small, for us. You could also sign up for a free trial with the voluminous audible.com. We get something out of that, too. We thank you for the support and allowing us to continue presenting Krishnadas's excellent talks. So, I've been a um, student of um, Baba Ramdas since the 70s. Um, woke up to the world the same way you all did, with the power of chemistry. Um, and uh, it took me uh, many, many years, until the last like, year or two, till I really felt Babaji. I mean, it was all about you felt Babaji. Baba? Baba. Neem Karoli Baba. Oh, okay. His spiritual essence. Um, it was. It was all the other. It was the philosophy. It was the devotion. It was. It was everything else. The teachings. But um, and it's only now that I feel him. I know him. I have a picture of Baba on my puja table in my house. And whenever I have company, I put it away. Smart. <laughs> oh, do tell. That's my issue. I get a whole wall full of puja, and then the air conditioning people came. And I'm thinking, you know, they're gonna bomb this fucking place if I don't close it, if I don't put something over that. <laughs> I, whatever I do, it's my business. It doesn't need to be, the whole world doesn't have to know about it. So if I feel it's gonna make people uncomfortable, I just put it away. If I feel it's, it's okay, I leave it there, that's all. Um, Ramdas is another one. You know, I, I tease him these days. I say, you know, you finally become who we thought you were 40 years ago. <laughs> he is in such a beautiful space. It's hard to believe. I, really, I have never seen a Westerner in such an open, deep, loving, unprotected, uh, so beautiful, really. Uh, it, it gives me hope that I, there might be some hope for me, <laughs> but I doubt it. Okay. 
It's just so incredible, you know. And uh, really the stroke was one of the best things that have happened to him. And he says that. Uh, you know, when difficult stuff happens to us, we don't like it. Uh, but in the long run, it's only the difficult stuff that forces us to activate our real, true will and our true wisdom and deal with it so it doesn't destroy us. I just saw a video of an incredible Rinpoche named Garchan Rinpoche. He was incarcerated in Tibet for 20 years in prison, tortured. I mean, the, the physical tortures were extraordinary. And yet he says, best thing that ever happened to me. And he means it too. That's the difference between him and us. He really means it because it forced him to activate his teachings, to realize the teachings that he got, to find love everywhere. One time an old Lama who had been just released from Chinese prison in Tibet came to see His Holiness. And his Holiness said, were you ever afraid? And he said, oh yes, I was afraid. I was afraid that someday I would get angry at the Chinese. You know, we go through our days pissed off at this one, pissed off at that one, ranting and railing, never paying attention. This is the real stuff. He was afraid, what, of getting angry at the Chinese. That's how much, that's how meaningful practice is to him. That's how real and possible real realization is to him. He knows what's necessary. We're just pretending, we're just starting. So these beings are so incredible, just so incredible. Such, such inspirations. How long did it take you to learn Hindi? And do you read and write it as well as you speak it? Well, I certainly hope not. I speak the Hindi of maybe a four-year-old baby. And it took me 40 years to get that far. I feel I have no right to chant the Hanuman Chalisa if it's not perfect. But the joy of the chant has been replaced with a seriousness that kills the natural joy of the practice. Oh, it's too bad, isn't it? <laughs> you want me to do it? Is that the end of the question? I'm sorry you feel so bad, and I'm sorry you're so goddamn serious. Um, first of all, I've been singing the Hanuman Chalisa for 40 years, and I still don't have it perfectly right. Westerners, you know, in Hindi, there's four T's, okay? How many T's are there in English? There's four D's. How many, T's, how many D's are there in English? <laughs> we don't hear the difference between ta, 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 and ta. Do we? They do. 
So I gave up. I just sing it the way I really feel like it. And Maharaji likes it. That's all I can tell you. He, first time I sang it for him, he corrected me on one word. And I got so flushed that I forgot the whole thing. And he said, okay, 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 never mind, just sing it. And he never corrected me after that. <laughs> so I figured if it doesn't bother him, it ain't gonna bother me. So whoever asked this question, get over it. Stop being so serious. Chant it from your heart. Make it an offering to Maharaji and, and you know, relax. Okay? How to know whether... I should read these things first, right? But anyway. How to know whether the desire one experiences is the source of life force and is it linked with one's life purpose? Could somebody translate that for me? <laughs> How to know whether the desire one experiences, what kind of desire? Chocolate. Huh? <laughs> chocolate, I think. Desire for chocolate? Yeah. Is the source of life force and it is linked with one's life purpose. Uh. <laughs> you know, un do you hear undercurrent in there? Mm -hmm. You hear an undercurrent that maybe desire is not good? It's subtle. Is it really, could it possibly be linked to life's purpose? Right? It's a part of life. The body, the human body, has to breathe, has to eat, has to get rid of what it ate, and it likes to fuck. <laughs> Those are natural desires. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff. What we do on top of that is what screws us up. And what the culture does in order to control us, like certain religious organizations who claim to be the word of God and are out there fucking little boys and girls. I'm not gonna name any. <laughs> this is the Kali Yuga, this is the Dark Ages. This is disgusting, that kind of stuff. And it's all based on fear of sex. That sex is evil. We cut it off. We don't talk about it. We don't do it. And then they wind up screwing the walls because they don't deal with it. You can't not deal with energy. You can't not deal with hunger. Okay, I'm not going to eat. You're going to die of starvation. I'm not going to deal with sex. It's going to go to your head and make you crazy. And you're going to do things that you wouldn't do if you would only treat yourself like a... a a general, normal human being. It's impossible unless you have a real guru who can take your energy and transmute it and put you on the right path. But that's very rare. Very rare. Sexual energy is big time stuff. You can't just pretend you're not going to deal with it. You've got to deal with it. You don't do that, it's gonna make you crazy. That doesn't mean you have to screw everything that moves. It just means you have to deal with it. You have to find a way to come to terms with those kind of desires. Or it's gonna make you nuts. And make you turn your mind a billion miles an hour. And you're gonna always thinking about it. We need good way to deal with sexual energy, just the same way we need to deal with any kind of energy. But this world is so screwed up. 
makes the most simple human things evil. Why? To control people. These organizations do this on purpose, to control us and take all the real estate <laughs> and make money. It's horrible, but that's the way it is. The real saints don't have big organizations. They don't, they don't own billions and billions and billions of square miles of property. The real saints, you never even know about them. Vaguely, very, every once in a while, a good saint comes along and people hear about him. But it's usually after they're gone that people hear about them. They do their work and they go. They don't set up huge institutions with gold plates and all that bullshit. All that does is, is it, it demeans human beings. It negates natural humanity. And if there is evil, that's it. But that's part of things too. And it's part of the way life is these days. This is not, you know, in, in India they talk about the four yugas, the four ages. This is the, the dark ages as far as they're concerned. Which means the light is buried so deeply within us that we barely know it's there. Which is why it's such a miracle that we get together like this at all. There are very few people on the planet doing this for one reason or another. Either they're just not interested or they're running away from bombs and have no place to sleep. That's part of karma too. This is, this is hard times. So we're all very blessed to know anything about this path at all. To recognize that there's, that there's something possible, there's a way to live a good life in harmony with your desires, in harmony with other people. Don't get me <laughs> That doesn't mean there's not good people in all those organizations, by the way. There's wonderful beings in all organizations. It's just that the organizations themselves, by definition, Because once you start getting power, it's intoxicating. You can't. It's not so easy to give it up. You think you have power. And yet, you still have to take aspirin when you get a headache. You got no power. You can't stop the rain from falling. You have no power. You can't make the sun come out. You can't stop the earthquakes. You can't stop the tsunamis. You have no power. You have a little power over other human beings who give their power to you because they think you're better than them. Not so. Completely. Maharaji never did that. He never took our power. He didn't even need us around. His mantra was, go away. <laughs> he didn't need us there. He didn't initiate us. He didn't take any. He wouldn't take money from us. Nothing. He said, all the money in the universe is mine, even the money in America. What do you want to give me this few books for? Get out of here. The freedom, the joy of being with somebody like that is 
Someone you can trust. Trust. You know how rare that is? To be with somebody that you, that it, it doesn't even come up. Total trust. Total love. You can't give yourself fast enough. You can't give it away fast enough. You can't. It's just, you can't. You want to give, you want to just give everything, but you don't know how. It's very rare. And yet, all that is in here. Every single bit of it is in here. It's not out there. There's no more God in Maharaji than there is in you and me. He just knows that. And we don't. That's not a permanent situation, that's a temporary delusion, that's all. We'll get over it. It's not so easy to live with somebody who knows everything. Okay? Let's think about that concept. Imagine your partner, your husband, your girlfriend, your children knew everything. Not just everything about you, but everything and certainly everything about you. Imagine, you know, if, you, if, you, if your partner knew everything about you, all the miserable thoughts you have during the day, all the way you hide your dirty underwear behind the thing there, all the stuff that you don't want anybody to know, they know, but they love you even more. It's not so easy. We want to hide because we don't love ourselves. But you can't hide. That's the joke. You can't hide. You're always here. You see everything. You pretend you don't see, but you see. And once you really cop to that, that's when you can really start letting go and accepting yourself the way you are just as you are, which is the way love lives within us. Already there, full-on, unconditional, but we shut it down. As it couldn't be, we don't deserve it, we think. So we run away from that, we get lost, we get busy, we keep thinking, making more nonsense. And we don't do the very things that we have to do to uncover that love. But there's no hurry. The spiritual enlightenment and the guidance, the spiritual guidance you can talk about, is uh, India like the only place we can go and get it? No. That's where you get dysentery. Enlightenment you get right here, where you are wherever that is. There's nowhere to go to get it. It's inside of you. Period. There's lots of teachers in America. Lots of lamas, lots of yogis, lots of saints hanging around, giving their teachings. Why bother going in dysentery, you know? You might as well just stay here, where you can do the work without having to get a whole new set of problems to deal with first. It's just a waste of time. 
However, if you call it to India, go. Just don't drink the water. <laughs> I love India. India is my home. I, when I stepped off the plane for the first time in 1970, the minute my foot hit the ground, I went, whoa, I'm home. And I realized I had never felt at home anywhere before that moment. It was an incredible feeling. Which is why I never learned Hindi. I figured I ought to know it. <laughs> so I never studied it. And as a result, I don't know it. So, but enlightenment is our own natural state of being right now. But our thoughts, our emotions, our emotional programs, that's what's covering it all up. And the fact that we can't bring our minds, we can't calm our minds at all. We have no peace of mind whatsoever. Find a little peace of mind, you'll find enlightenment. You don't have to go anywhere to find that. It's inside of you. You might want to go places where temporarily you can be in an atmosphere that's helpful to quiet down, you know, less, less TV, less internet, less phones, less mating and dating. You know, just where there's, you can kind of at least face some of the things that pull us out of ourselves so immediately that we don't even notice most of them. That's useful to go on retreat for some period of time. Then you got to come back and deal with all the shit anyway. But it gives you a little break, loosens it up a little bit. I think retreats are wonderful. You know, I would like to do longer retreats with people, but I don't know how people would be able to take off work, you know. And, and do it, but I don't know, we'll figure it out. Because over a week, you know, you're forced to deal with a lot of stuff just from being in a group that's all dealing with practices, talking about the stuff, talking about the stuff that comes up. It's very useful. I think so. It's useful to me when I'm doing it. I just don't know how to do it without everybody selling their children to pay for it, pay for the retreat. I don't like to charge so much, but but we have to charge what we have to charge to keep doing this, so. Thank you for listening to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. We really appreciate your support and hope you'll continue that support by going to mindpodnetwork.com kd and clicking on the donate button or using our amazon.com portal for all of your purchases. Thank you. Namaste.